Well, let me start off. I want to share some really good news with you this morning as we even get going. And here's what it is, is that Jesus is on his throne today and he's not shaken. He's on his throne and he's not going anywhere. He's not moving. He's not shaken. He won't be manipulated. He won't be bought. He's absolutely powerful and he's over everything. And that's great news for us as a church this morning. Amen. God has placed this uh, passage on my heart over the past probably month now, and I've been wrestling with it, and I've been thinking about it, and it's one of my favorite passages in, in all of the Bible, and it also scares me at the same time because of everything that it tells us, and everything that it says, and how it can easily offend us, and everything that we hold so dear, but God says, please let go of those things for your own sake. And I'm glad he's laid it on my heart because I think it's a very timely passage. We're coming to the conclusion of another year. And we've seen some great things and some good things, and we've been a part of good things, but we've also seen some hard things this year. We've also had some heartache. We've also had some concerns. We've had fear. We've had all these things on multiple different levels. As a country, I don't think I even need to tell you that. We've seen things out in our society and culture that scare us, that bring fear. We've seen all sorts of issues come to light in ways that I've never seen before. In all the years that I've ever lived, all 32, going on 33 years, I've never seen us, even as the United States, so in such turmoil with things like racism and terrorism and all of these things coming to a head, not to mention another year of baby genocide that's going on right before our eyes. As a church, we've also seen ups and downs. And on personal levels, I, I know many of you have had hurt and pain, and hard things you've been wrestling through. You've been questioning things. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're questioning all of this. Let's just be honest. Maybe you are. Maybe you're questioning the church. Maybe you're questioning your faith. Maybe you're questioning, where God, where are you? And so I think that this passage that we're going to look at is very timely. And it may have some things that are hard for us to hear. I know that it's had things this week that are hard for me to hear. And it's been honestly a struggle to prepare this message today, but at the same time, I have not been able to escape the echo of Hebrews, which says that pastors, that shepherds are meant to, are called to care for the souls of the sheep. And as I hear your stories, and as I look around, and I look outside of these walls, what I, what I see and what I hear are restless souls. And so what does God have to say to us in the midst of that? As we get closer to another year ending, what does he have to say about where we place our trust and our faith and our, our hope? In ancient cultures, um, cultures that needed bridges to be built. They would often have a bridge builder that would do all of the design and they would oversee all of this bridge being put in place. And then after the bridge was completed for trade routes and for people to get across, after the bridge was completed, the bridge builder wouldn't just go on about their way and then they just send people over. Here's what they would do in some of these cultures. They would require that the person who built the bridge would go and stand underneath the bridge. Before anybody went over it, before any horses, any load was put on the bridge, the bridge builder had to go stand underneath as the first load was put on to assure that he really had faith in what he had built, in what he was standing under. And so the question that I would pose to us this morning is a church, and if you're a guest with us and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, thanks for being here. It's the same question that I would pose to you today. What are you placing your hope in and will it stand up or will it crush you? Because what Jesus has to say to us this morning in this passage is he offers us something that won't crush us. He offers us something that will actually restore us. And I want to be clear right off the the bat this morning, and I'm just going to be 
I'm just going to walk through this passage with you as, as best I can, but I know that it will be with error. But I want to be clear with this. This isn't a political message. This isn't a message centered on different ideologies, social stances, or messages filled with moralism, because that's not what you need today. That's not what you need today. That's not what anybody out there needs today. Instead, what we need more than anything, what our community that we're trying to reach needs more than anything, is something that can't be built, that can't be bought, and that can't be brought down. And ultimately, what we need more than anything this morning is we need Jesus. So pray with me, because church, we need Jesus to speak to us this morning. God, would you be with us this morning? Would you speak to us through your word? And would you let us not get in the way of it? God, would we lay down our defensive tendencies, my own included? God, would we instead take up a hearty humility to say, maybe God, just maybe you have something to say to us this morning. Maybe God, it's true that you really do love your children this morning and you have something you want to tell us. Maybe God, you're looking down on your children and it, it saddens you to see so many restless souls. And so God, would you, through the Holy Spirit, redirect, recenter, and reaffirm us this morning on what can't be torn down and where our greatest hope should be. Jesus, we trust that you are going to be here with us through the Holy Spirit. We pray these things in your name. Amen. We're going to be looking at Colossians 1, which, which Julie read for us. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's also going to be up behind me on the screen. We're going to look at a few verses this morning. Some things that Paul had to say to the church in Colossae. And we're going to ask that God would speak to us this morning in our, in our current reality, not in just a void, but in our reality, where we are today, where your hearts are, even as Alex said, where our burdens are today. And so here's how it starts. We're going to start in verse 15. Here's how Paul starts. He, meaning Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So here's what's going on in the church of Colossae. They had the gospel. Many of them believed in the gospel. He is talking to the church, but here's what else happened. There were a lot of ideas floating around the city. There were a lot of ideas and ideologies floating around other cities, and it was making its way into the church. There were a lot of false gospels, things that sounded good and things that people were ultimately being tempted to place their hope in, their faith in, their trust in. And Paul got word of this, and he writes this letter, and he says, let me redirect you. Let me tell you about Jesus again. It seems as though some of you have either forgotten, or you've been manipulated, and you've bought into something else. And he starts off big. He says, hey, remember your ancestors. Hey, remember how powerfully God moved, remember his presence back with your ancestors? That he was with them, but they couldn't see him? Yeah, well, that all changed with Jesus, remember? He came, and he took on flesh. He came down to be with us. He stepped into humanity. The unseen God took on flesh, and not only that, before this world ever existed, before humanity breathed its first breath, before the ocean first roared, before the thunder first clapped, he was there, Jesus the firstborn of all creation. And this title, firstborn, is amazing because here's what it meant. It meant that God saw it right to give Jesus, his son, full rights. Jesus had the full rights of God. And so Paul casts this super wide net. He says, look around. Check it out. Everything that you see, everything that you can touch, Jesus did that. 
When you look up at the stars at night and you see those and you can, you can barely make them out, Jesus did that. And then he goes a step further because he says, not only on earth, but in heaven. If you're going to get really freaked out, think about the things you can't see that are going on. If I knew everything that was going on around me that I had no idea about, and I was able to um, take that into my mind, I can guarantee I'd be freaking out in that corner right now, hoping that it all just kept going. And so Paul says, this is how big he is. This is how big Jesus is. And why does Paul do this? Why does Paul start off with such a big, dramatic statement? Because he desperately wants the church to know, hey, this guy's got the credentials. You can trust him. He's been here before anything. He was here before you. You can place your hope in him. You should place your hope in him. And because God also knows that we have a challenging time seen beyond or above what's right in front of us. But he wants us to. Because ultimately it's beyond and above what's right in front of us, our circumstance, our current reality, that, that we find our greatest hope in Jesus. And so here's what Paul says, because he knows that we have a tendency, and God knows that we have a tendency to worship the created over the creator. As he continues in verse 16, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, hear this, all things were created through him and for him. Let me read it one more time. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. I was greatly troubled on Wednesday, but I was not troubled really at who was elected and who wasn't elected. As much as I was troubled by how I saw people responding. And here's what, I, here's what I mean by this. I want to be really clear. That when it comes to any dominion, when it comes to any ruler, when it comes to any authority, to experience emotions, to have concerns, or excitement is one thing. And that's, that's I believe, fine and appropriate. We're humans. God gave us emotions. He gave us sound minds. I don't think there's shame in that. But when it goes past to a place and a level of salvation or damnation, that's another. Here's what I mean by that. Based on just what I was seeing from all angles and all sides on Wednesday, it was either as if the second coming had happened and Christ was here, or that Jesus had crawled back into the grave. And I'll tell you unashamedly, our hope can't be in any ruler, power, or authority other than Jesus because that's idol worship. And God doesn't want that for his children. We can't go that far because our hope is not man-made, because of what even it says next here in verse 17. And he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. No one else can make this claim. No one else has ever been able to, and nobody else can make this claim in your life, because no one else was here from before the beginning, and no one else can set creation in motion, and if they wanted to, no one else could stop it on a dime except for Jesus. He's the one that holds it together, literally, not figuratively, literally. Jesus is holding everything together. That's what the gospel tells us. Not our best efforts, not anything man-made, not anything built, not our greatest concerns, not our circumstances, not our health, not our money. Jesus is literally holding everything together. And so when I feel anxious, which I oftentimes do, I'll just be honest, I'm not rid of anxiety. 
When I feel anxious about our church, when I feel anxious about our country, when I feel anxious about the world, when I feel anxious in and of my own life because of things that I'm wrestling with or struggling with, whether that's sin or whether it's just fear, whatever it may be, stress, when I start to really remember and believe this, that Jesus holds everything together, I I feel the weight start to lift. Because here's what this means, that nothing, nothing has happened, is happening, or will happen outside of Jesus' control. That's true. That's gospel today. Nothing. And so we can take a breath. Now, wait, you're saying, does this mean that we should sweep things under the rug? Does this mean that we should, we should ignore real issues that are going on in our lives and around us? No, that's not what this means. It's not what this means at all. It's not a call to be passive. Here's what this is. It's a call to be more active in our faith than anything else. They come hell or high water, we would hold to Jesus who holds us together. And you might say, well, that seems pretty simple-minded. It seems simple-minded. Of course you'd say that, preacher, right? It's not simple-minded. It's, it's called what the gospel says, being single-minded. That no matter what comes in your life, that no matter what comes where you live, that no matter what comes or will be wherever, that we are single-minded and we are focused on Jesus because he's in total control. And we can be assured that the one who holds everything together has a plan, and he has a plan not only in creation, but also in his church. Here's what it says in verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, Paul says it again, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Preeminent, not a word we use a lot. I don't walk around saying, man, you look preeminent. It's not not a word in our normal vocabulary. Here's what it means, though. It means in ultimate authority over everything. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So why is Jesus our greatest hope? And here's the thing. Nothing in here is rocket science today. It's a reminder for us to church to to hunker down, to rest in our Father's arms. But why is Jesus our greatest hope? Why is he the head of the church, as Paul tells us? Because he's the only one who could and did give his life for it. No one else did that. No one else could do that. That's what Paul makes incredibly clear. And by being the firstborn from the dead, he proves his power and authority over sin and death, and he births the church. He he births. He births the church. You and I, while we're here this morning, what we're doing, enjoying Jesus, he gave his life for it, and he's not giving it up, and he's not handing it over, not to anyone or anything. He took on flesh, he came down, and he also shows us what God is really like. That's why it says the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. When we want to know what God is like, we look to Jesus. And what we find is a good and gracious and loving king. A king who would leave his throne and come down to be with us. And so if you want to get real real for a minute, which we probably should, there's a huge question we haven't even asked yet, and it's this. It's why. If you really want to get to the heart of it. Why do we fall into worshiping and placing our hope and being consumed by other things outside of Jesus? Why is that? If we know, like the church in Colossae, the gospel, and we claim to believe in it and trust in it, and we believe that Jesus has given himself to save us, then why do we tend to go to other things? And I believe here's the answer, because we're not sure that he's really that good and really in that much control if we're being honest. And so we settle. We make idols in our own lives. We turn lesser things into greater things, and we even turn good things that God has given us into God things, which now reign in and over him. 
And when God doesn't give us what we want or what we think we need, we run to something else that we believe will give us what we want or what we need or will take away our fear, will take away our anxiety, or will take away our restlessness. Because we are so easy to forget what he says next. That through him, through him to reconcile himself, to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now you see that word peace, and you hear that word peace, and you'd probably say, where's the peace? Where is this peace? I look around, I don't see peace. I see crazy things going on on TV and in the streets, and I don't see peace. I see terrorists coming and taking Christians and murdering them and murdering families. I don't see peace. I look around and I see my neighbors and I see others and they're fighting and arguing. I don't see peace. I don't have peace in my own life. I feel like I'm always restless, like there's always something happening. If he came to bring peace, then where is the peace? Because I can't see it. So hear this. God is on a mission of redemption to reconcile all things. And we are in the midst of him doing just that reconciling all things, but we're in the middle of it. It hasn't all been reconciled yet. That's why we see sin. That's why we see brokenness. That's why we see things that disgust us. That's why we see mistreatment. That's why we see abuse. That's why we hear stories that tear us apart. That's why we see all of these things, because it hasn't all been reconciled yet. But here's the good news, because we need some good news. Here's what it is. Jesus, through the blood of the cross, we can be assured that all things, whether in this life or some in eternity to come, will be made right, will be reconciled. That all things will be made new, that there will be no more war, that there will be no more sickness, that there will be no more abuse, that there will be no more worry, no more racism, and no more hate, because Jesus ultimately has made peace by the blood of his cross. And that's where our hope is found. And that's why it's important to remember here our ultimate affiliation, That our affiliation is not ultimately to our circumstances, that it's not to our trials, that it's not to our struggles with sin, that it's not to a person. Here's what I want to tell you, church, and I love this country, but our affiliation ultimately is not to this country. As Christians, our greatest affiliation is to Jesus because he has given you a new identity through the blood of his cross. You're no longer seen as a sinner, you're seen as a saint this morning. He's taking care of your greatest need and his blood ran red so that you could be given ultimate peace in eternity. So don't give yourself over to lesser powers. Come hell or high water, Jesus is unshaken this morning on his throne. And he's bringing peace and he's reconciling all things and we now get citizenship as sons and daughters to the kingdom of God. And it's such a beautiful thing. That even if we lose this life, we'll gain it. That no one can take this from us. But this was not always the case. And Jesus not only proved his power and authority, but he proved his love for us. By coming when we were lost. It says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in the mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Essentially, here's what happened, church. We built our own bridge. We all built our own bridge. And it was a horrible bridge. And we tried as we might to keep it up 
and to keep it standing. But it became more and more weighed down by our own sin and by evil and by the things that we ran to. And just before this bridge would come crushing down and crush us, here's what Jesus did. He steps in. He says, you go over here. I'm going to come where you are, and I'm going to let all of this come down upon me. All of your sin, all of your guilt, all of your pain, everything. I'm going to stand underneath your bridge so you don't have to be crushed by this. And he did just that on the cross. All of our sin, all of our evil, everything that the world has to offer came down on Jesus. But because Jesus is fully God, and because God was pleased to fully dwell in Jesus, Jesus came out of the wreckage. And he built a new bridge, and it's called grace. And he invites us to stand underneath it. And he says, no matter what comes, if you get sick, if you lose a job, if you're stressed, no matter what anybody can do to you, even if they take your own life physically here on this earth, you're safe under my bridge of grace. Nobody can touch you here. We were running from him, and he ran to us. And so we place our hope in him. He wanted to present us holy and blameless. Because you need to know, church, before God, you're clean this morning. Before God, you're safe this morning. And that's not changing. Not a single head on your hair will be moved or pulled out or fall out without God knowing it today. And as new creations, because God presented us holy and blameless, As new creations, we stand for what's holy and right. We stand against what's wrong and evil. We stand for the right treatment of image bearers. We use our voice, we use our actions, but we do it with love and grace and compassion. We don't do it with hate and harm. We do it with love and grace and compassion because ultimately we know that true peace and true hope comes not from anything man-made, but from what God did on the cross. And it means that we can take anything to God in prayer. Thursday was a beautiful night. About 30 or 40 of us gathered here and we just prayed. And we sang songs. It was so good for my soul. We lifted up names, probably 50 names of people who don't know Jesus. And we prayed for those names that Jesus would reach them, bring them to himself. We prayed for one another. We thanked God for who he is. We thanked him for how powerful and mighty he is. It's a beautiful thing that we can take our burdens to God in prayer. And so it's holding to this truth of who we now are and the future that we have that gives us the faith, hope, and trust that we can do as verse 23 says here. It says, if you indeed continue in the faith, and Paul's not saying you're going to lose your salvation He's saying, continue in the faith so that you can continue in the faith if you hold to this. Be stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So in a time in which we live with so much division around so many things as a church and as Christians, we unite around our greatest hope. As the church, no matter where you live, no matter what you look like, no matter what culture you're from, if you're thousands of miles away from here, no matter the color of your skin, no matter the money in your bank account, we are stable and united around the truth of the gospel. I love the documentary. I watch a lot of documentaries that I watched not this long ago. But this girl was being interviewed that was about 15 years old, and she had seen family and friends of hers be taken into the sex trade. She lives in a third world country. And she had such a positive spirit about her. 
I was like, what's going on? And I think the interviewer realized that as well. And so she said, she, she asked her, she said, why, why are you so upbeat? And she literally said this, and I couldn't believe they included it in the documentary. She says, I believe God has a plan. And I believe his plan is for good. And I was like, that'll preach. This is it. No matter what we have or don't have, we can be united around this as, as the church, the kingdom church. Around what Jesus has done. That we would stay steadfast, that we would stay stable, steadfast. This is a good one, in good or bad, because here's the deal. When things are going really great, we can also run to other things. Oh, God, I don't need you right now. When things are going bad, we can run to other things. We, we often run to other things. Alex said last week, one of the greatest apologetics for us as Christians, even here in Seattle, in our country, is, is community. It stands out. It actually shows the gospel in some pretty amazing ways, and I agree with that. I believe Another great apologetic for us and one of the strongest is that when we're struggling or wrestling with things, that we don't lose hope. So that those around us who are looking for safety, or when they struggle, or when they wrestle with things, they might look to God's children to say, why do you have hope? Just like this girl, why do you have hope? Oh, because I believe God has a plan and he's good and he's an authority over everything and let me share with you the truth that I believe. That only happens if we're actually finding our hope in Christ. This is what Paul says here. This is why he ends it this way. He says, don't, sh- don't shift. He's basically saying, no matter what, don't shift. Stay stable. Stay steadfast. And here's the truth. If our soul is safe with Jesus and nobody can take that, then why do we allow other things to take our hope from us? Our ultimate hope is not in what we do or don't have. It's not in our health. It's not in our money. It's not in anything that we do or don't have. It's not in the situations that we are or are not in. And to get here, to really find our hope in Jesus, it's not about behavior change, it's not about moralism, it's not about modifying something, it's about our heart. It's about bringing our burdens before God, it's about confessing before him, God, I've bought into other things that I'm placing hope in, ultimate hope in, I'm placing too much of my hope in, God, and, and, and I need to confess that, and God, would you do such work in my heart that, that no matter what, I find my hope in you. And this offends us, and this offends me, because I want to grab onto other things that I can tangibly even sometimes see. But God is saying, I'm never going to stop pressing in on you because I love you so much that your ultimate hope needs to be found in me because I'm your, I'm your Savior. And so God never stops doing that. And when we believe this, here's what's beautiful. We're freed up. We're freed up because there's something that needs to be proclaimed. And so we're freed up to proclaim this, as Paul says, this news that you have been proclaimed, the gospel. Here's the truth this morning for all of us. Our neighbors need Jesus. Above all else, Jesus is the solution to everything. Just like the kid who goes into Sunday school and is asked a dozen questions and they say Jesus, they're never wrong. Jesus is the ultimate solution. And imagine what our city would look like if we cared as much about our lost neighbors as we did about our politics. Because Jesus is the hope of creation. Jesus is the hope of the church. Jesus is the hope of the Seattle. Jesus is the hope of the world. Jesus is our hope. And this good news needs to get out because he's a good and trustworthy king. We will experience and face many challenges in our lives that come and go in small ways. We'll also face really good things, I believe, and and great things, but we should never lose sight of where hope needs to be found and firm and steadfast. Because through it all, only one 
There's only one that will stay the same, that will stay consistent, that will stay in authority. And that's Jesus. So if you haven't placed your faith in him, your hope, or your wrestling, or your struggling, or your fearful, or your concerned, or whatever, whatever it may be, Jesus is offering you, you, he knows you. He knows you even before you have a relationship with him. He knows you. What he offers you today is his grace. He doesn't offer you shame. He's not going to hit you over the hand. He's not going to yell at you, scream at you, get on you. He offers you his grace. He offers you his grace through the blood of his cross. And if you are a part of the church this morning, and you're a believer and you're a Christian, the good news is that Jesus has already done everything to secure our destiny, our eternity. But sometimes we forget. But luckily, he is so loving and patient toward us that he seeks us out and he wants to draw us back. And so may we remember. I want to end by reading part of the Heidelberg Catechism, which is amazing. And and just think of these words, hear these words, and may it be a comfort to us as we then continue to worship Jesus. It says this question at the beginning, what is your only comfort? And many have inserted hope in this. What is your only comfort or hope in life and death? And here's our answer, church. That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he has also assured me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. There's good news, church. Jesus is on his throne. He's not shaken.